0: All right, let me open this up in prayer, and then we'll get started. Father God, we come before you tonight, Lord, and we just give thanks for the privilege and the honor, Lord, to gather together as your people to open your word and to see what it is you have to say to us, Lord. And we pray in full confidence, Lord, knowing that you have sent your spirit out beforehand to prepare hearts, prepare minds, Lord, in the belief that you are not only just going to change thoughts, and this disposition is, Lord, but you're about to change lives through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hope is a dangerous thing. This is a line from the 1994 prison drama, The Shawshank Redemption. Spoken by Morgan Freeman's character, Red, to his fellow inmate and friend, Andy Dufresne who was played by Tim Robbins, Andy, who was serving two consecutive life sentences for a double homicide that he did not commit, was holding on to hope, hope that through the process of appealing his case or through the convincing of the parole board, he would eventually be exonerated of his guilt and seen for the innocent man that he was. His hope was that he would one day regain his freedom and be allowed to live out the rest of his life as a free man. The free man that he knew he had always been. The problem was that Andy's hope was completely tied to and dependent upon the actions of corrupt individuals who were profiting off of a corrupt system a system that actually benefited from Andy's imprisonment. Eventually Andy realizes that his hope is misplaced, futile. He gives up on the appeals process. He gives up on trying to convince people of his innocence, and he stops hoping and trusting in the broken system that imprisoned him in the first place. Andy ends up taking matters into his own hands, and he Eventually, very cleverly, very conspicuously, and very slowly, plans and executes his escape from Shawshank, and presumably lives out the rest of his life enjoying the white sand beaches of Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Now, the Shawshank Redemption is a fictional story with fictional characters who are living fictional lives. But there is a lot of nonfiction. There's a lot of truth. In red, statement, a statement that I in many ways agree with. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope, when finally realized as misplaced, can be soul crushing. When you think about all the things that people place their hope in, when you really examine those things and see how fragile and temporal those things are, it's scary. You know, it's only a matter of time before those things are exposed for what they really are, misplaced, corrupted, and unworthy. We put our hope in politicians and the potential hope that they may bring. In fact, some politicians have ran entire campaigns on the message of hope. A vote for so-and-so is a vote for hope. If you vote for candidate so-and-so, they'll make right all the wrongs of the other guy or gal that was in office before them. So we vote. Our guy or our, our gal wins. And very soon after, we realize that they're really just like every other guy or gal that went before them. They do their best, they do what they can do, but we see that they always fall short of our hope filled expectations. We put our hope in our jobs, our spouses, our children, our families. We find our meaning and our purpose in living for them. All that we do is focused on them. We hope that in having a successful career, an ideal marriage with ideal, with ideally perfectly behaved children that go on to Ivy League schools, that we will be validated and praised amongst our peers. But then we lose our jobs. Our marriage gets difficult. Our marriage gets messy, it becomes painful. Our children show themselves to be just as broken as we are. We begin to see a lot of our sin and struggles that have plagued us all of our lives begin to manifest and play out in their lives. We soon realize that we have placed our hope in something or someone that was never created or designed to carry that weight. They weren't built for that burden. We place our hope in pleasure, money, power, success. Living in pursuit of these things, things that in long term always fail to deliver what we hope for. Mankind is hopelessly inclined to hope in and live for that which cannot ever deliver. We're really good at hoping in and living for that which is not worthy. Even as believers, as Christians, we need to be careful of what it is that we are truly living for. We need to ask ourselves tonight, is our hope a divided hope? Is what we're living for worthy? So we pick it up here in 1 Peter And I'm going to read through chapter 1, verses 13 through 25, and we'll begin to dissect this passage and look at the text. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For... All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the first word in this passage, therefore. it's going to force us to look back at what it was that Peter had said in the previous passages. So if you don't mind, I'd like to say maybe we could read it a little bit like this. Therefore, because you are elect exiles who by God's mercy have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, because you have an inheritance in heaven that God himself is guarding for you, Because you yourself are being guarded through faith by God. Because even your suffering and trials that you are currently experiencing are being used to your benefit to prove your faith genuine. Because you are recipients of a grace that is so amazing that prophets and apostles and even angels can't help but to preoccupy themselves with. Because of all of that which has been done for you, And to you, now you, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so one of the first things I'd like to get out there from this first portion of the text is that the motivation for Setting our hope fully on Christ and the grace that is coming is by remembering and reminding ourselves of Christ and all the grace that has already come. With minds prepared for action and being sober minded, we set fully our hope on Christ and his second coming. But what does that mean? What does it mean to prepare your mind for action? What does it mean to be sober minded? Well, this phrase or term, preparing your minds for action, in some other translations, it's said as to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, we know that in, 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 in Jerusalem and the ancient areas during this time, the, the people would wear uh, long, cumbersome uh, garments and so whenever they prepared themselves to do some work or uh, to take on a specific action, they would gird up their garments to their loins so that they would be unhindered or unimpeded in the task that they were about to take on. So in a sense, we, we can say that this is to not allow anything to obstruct you or to hinder you from focusing on and setting fully your hope on Christ and the grace that is to come. Being sober-minded, thinking clearly and sensible about your life as an elect exile, being aware of the fact that it doesn't matter what kind of suffering you're facing now or what trials you may be going through. You have a hope, a living hope, And all of our life experience has now to be filtered through the lens of the gospel. It has to be filtered and interpreted through that living hope of Jesus Christ. He is who we look towards to constantly. So now with unhindered and unobstructed focus, with a clear and sensible understanding of our identity in Christ, and filtering all of our experience through the lens of the gospel, we now, as obedient children, are not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, we all need to come to terms with the fact that prior to God saving us, prior to our new life in Christ, we were ignorant. We were ignorant about God. We were ignorant of His holiness. We were ignorant about ourselves, ignorant of our sin, of the meaning and the purpose of life, of eternity. Of everything. And this life lived in ignorance led to passions and desires and ways of living that were directly opposed to God and His holiness. There are things that I have done, there are ways in which I used to live my life that when I think back on those things, those times of ignorance, I'm disgusted and I'm ashamed. But praise Jesus, brothers and sisters of grace, because we are no longer ignorant. Ignorance is no longer a word used to describe who we are. What word does Peter use here to describe our new life in Christ, our new position? Children. Obedient children. And as obedient children, we are not being conformed to our former passions based off of a former ignorance. No. We are being transformed by the renewal of our mind, as it says in Romans 12. As children of God, we have been made aware of the truth of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And we now are empowered to walk in that truth. We are now able to live lives that are pleasing to our Father because of the finished work of Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. Our Father calls us to be like him. He says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, that's not a burden. That's a blessing. Yes, it will look strange and peculiar to the non-believing world. It will be strange to them. You might be mocked or threatened for living a life of holiness towards God. But it is what we are called to do and it is worth it. There is no fallen sinful human being who can attain God's standard of holiness. We know that. The fact that Jesus had to come and to do it for us proves that. We know that. But what a privilege by the grace of God and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that we get called into this type of living The pursuit of holiness, holy living, fueled by grace-driven effort. Why? Because that is what God has called us to as his children. John Calvin puts it like this. In bidding us to be holy like himself, the proportion is not that of equals, but we ought to advance in this direction as far as our condition will bear. And as even the most perfect are always very far from coming up to the mark, we ought daily to strive more and more. And we ought to remember that we are not only told what our duty is, which is to be holy, but that God also adds I am he who sanctifies. Praise be to God. Brothers and sisters, don't let this command to be holy discourage you. For it is God who has called you to it, and it is God who will in you do it. You just need to focus fully on the grace that is to come. Focus on Jesus. Remember what it is He has done for you and set your hope fully on what He is coming to do. He is a living hope and He is the only hope worth living for. We pick it up in verse 17. It says, And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so your faith and hope are in God. So what I see here in this portion of the text is that we are to relate to God not only as father but also as the judge of all men and in doing so we should consider the great cost of our hope we should be driven to reverence as much as we are driven to assurance our intimate relationship with God doesn't exempt us from obedience our intimate relationship oh I'm sorry on the contrary it propels us towards obedience This is not a denial of justification by faith alone, but an affirmation of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. This is not promoting a salvation by works. Rather, it is a recognition of the truth that our works will follow our heart commitments and that genuine faith will reveal itself in the conduct in which we live. We have been ransomed From our futile ways, it says. We were once hoping in a broken system to fix what was broken in us. We were living for things that had no power to save us. We were living as the rest of the world was. But now, as children of God, we are called to a different way of life. A life that displays the glory and holiness of our saving God. A life that is marked by reverence of God. We should never expect to fully fit in here. Nor should we attempt to fully fit in with this world. Remember, we are exiles, sojourners of a different kingdom, and we love what our king loves and we hate what he hates. We must pay attention to the fallenness of this world for the purpose of reminding us that this is not, it cannot be our final home. Another, motiva- another motivating factor for a life lived in obedience to God is, as I mentioned before, our hope came at a great cost. The ransom which was paid cost the life of God's only begotten Son. How could we ever go back to the previous futile ways <clears throat> of our former ignorance? Indeed, we cannot. The highest price that could have been paid was paid. The blood of Christ was spilled and poured out on our behalf. The Father crushed His very own Son so that the wrath that our sin incurred, was satisfied and dealt with once and for all. This was the plan from the very beginning. And it was ordained for our sake, for your sake, for my sake. So that in doing so, we would be reconciled to God through faith and hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the precious blood of Christ being spilled out on Calvary is not just our motivation, it is our assurance. We are assured of our acceptance by God because of the finished work of Christ. We are assured that he who began the good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will not abandon us because the price that was paid for us is more valuable than silver or gold. And its worth and value will never depreciate. Rest assured, brothers and sisters of grace, we may struggle and fumble through our obedience to God, but we have the imputed righteousness of Christ, and with that in our account, we will never have insufficient funds in God's economy. So set your hope fully on Jesus and the grace that will be brought to you, for he is a living hope, and he is the only hope worth living for. Pick it up in verses 22 through 25. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Obedience to the gospel, which is the truth that Peter is referring to in verse 22, is the means by which our souls have been purified. The gospel calls us to repent believe and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, in doing so, we are being obedient to what it calls us to do. And this is something that we will do until we go home to glory. We must constantly preach the gospel to ourselves as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He convicts us. We run to the cross forevermore in this life. Throwing ourselves on the finished work of Jesus. This is how we are sanctified. This is how we are being made holy. God uses the gospel to change hearts. Not just that conversion, but throughout the life of a Christian. Grace makes us strong. From it, and according to it, our entire lives are lived. Daniel Doriani, professor of theology at Covenant Theological Seminary, says this concerning the implications of the gospel and how it relates to our obedience to God. We can solve many of life's questions by asking, what action is in line with the truth of the gospel? What decision is consistent with the gospel? Suppose someone wrongs you. What response is consistent with the gospel? Sup- suppose uh, your career is uncertain, if you lose your job or lose income, what response is in line with the gospel? Anger, self pity, panic, shame. Or is there a better way to walk in line with the gospel? The gospel says we are beloved by God regardless of our achievements. What response follows that? We should always seek the path that is in line with the gospel. Looking at life through the lens of the gospel is part of obeying the truth. We obey the truth when we know we are justified by grace and sanctified by grace. We get right and stay right with God the same way through the gospel. Not works. How freeing is that? I'll tell you how freeing it is. It's freeing to the point that now we're you can rest assured, now you can rest assured in your acceptance in God through Christ Jesus and take all of that energy that you expelled in worry, anger, despair, shame, guilt, fear, all that energy and time and pour it out in love for your brother and sister in Christ. And you love on them. Not even death can separate us from the God who loved us and saved us. Because we have believed the gospel. Because we have put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ and are now living for Him. Because the living Word unites us to the living hope. We have an imperishable and unfading hope that awaits us. When you believe that, it frees you up to love from a pure heart. And when you're loving each other from a pure heart, the rest of the world may just start to take notice. They just may start to look at this group of elect exiles, these chosen rejects, these strangers with their strange customs and catch a glimpse glimpse of the living hope that is the only hope worth living for. So I may say that we can steal a page out of it, Mr. Andy Dufresne's playbook and stop trusting in a broken system that imprisoned us in the first place. But instead of taking matters into our own hands, rest assured that we serve a God who took matters into his hands, who condescended, who became like us, lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we all deserved, and three days later rose in our assurance. And to validate everything that he ever said. And he is alive today. And he is seated at the right hand of God. And he intercesses for us. And he is our mediator. He is our living hope. And he is the only hope worth living for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the grace that you have poured out on our life, Lord. (coughs) for the mercy and for the correction. We are even grateful, Lord, for our times in darkness, because it was in that time of darkness, Lord, that your light shined shined its brightest. And you drew us to yourself. You made us alive in Christ. You gave us a new heart. You put your spirit inside us, Lord. You gave us a living hope One that will never perish or fade. One that will never lose its luster. But for all eternity, Lord, we can trust in this hope and count on this hope and look forward to this hope and this grace to come. And in those times, Lord, when we find it hard to do that, Lord, just shift our attention back to the grace that has already come, Lord. Help us to remember Jesus Christ to run to the cross, to run to your grace and to your mercy. It is all by your grace and mercy, Lord. And we are grateful, Lord. Help us to love each other, Lord. Help us to live this life as elect exiles, Lord. Never let us grow apathetic in your mission, Lord, to go out to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples who make disciples, Lord. And help us to love one another. Help us to love our brothers and sisters to the point that it overflows from the four walls of the church. And affects all of the community around us, Lord. So that they might catch a glimpse of your glory and the hope that is in you. In the glorious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.